to share with you this morning. And as Ant has said, we've been doing a series on the Holy Spirit. Um, someone asked the other week, are we a church that's only into the Holy Spirit? <coughs> no, it's just so happened that if you've been coming the last few weeks, we are doing a series on the Holy Spirit. So we love the whole Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I really hope that uh, this morning that you would be encouraged uh, by what I, what I feel to bring. I want to do a bit of an introduction about the gifts of the Holy Spirit um, this morning. But I believe as Christians, um, there are two things that we should be concerned with, and that is the state of the world and the state of the church. Because the world that we live in and the people that we encounter daily are filled with troubles and often overcome by hopelessness because we are living in a world full of trouble and confusion, a world that's been trying to solve its own problems for centuries and which is no nearer to solving it now than it was at the beginning, a world which we believe, according to scriptures, under the wrath of God, a world which has turned away from God and brought down calamity and trouble on itself. And I want to say this morning that the only hope for such a world is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, this is the business of the church, to tell the world, as it is, of the great and glorious salvation in Jesus Christ. He is the only hope of the world. There is no hope in man. The only hope is in the Son of God. And our business is to represent him, to glorify him among the people of the world, to magnify his name, to show them the excellencies of his person and his great salvation. That, as the church, is our business. And we alone do that in the world. And yet, for many of us, when we look at the church, it seems in so many ways to be weak and ineffective in this modern world, and so filled with its own troubles. And we see when we look back at the New Testament church and the, the context, the worldly context that the early apostles and disciples found themselves in, we see that the early church was in a very similar place to ours. When we read the letters, we see the sin and immorality and moral degradation in the New Testament is very similar to our world today. And yet, we find this amazing story of a handful of illiterate, ignorant men and women who were able not to only impact their world, but to influence it profoundly. And the explanation of this is, of course, that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1 verse 8, we are reminded of Jesus' words, you shall receive power and you shall become my witnesses. You see, the primary objective of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to help him build the church and to be witnesses to the world. And it is this very great commission that Jesus gives us that he also promises to equip us and to enable us for. I think there are many Christians who have heeded that call 
but have availed upon it in their own strength and their own wisdom. But I believe, and as the Bible teaches, for such a great task, we need a very great empowerment. When Jesus returned from the dead after he was raised to life, it says, um, Luke says in the first chapter of the book of Acts, he says, this is what Jesus said one time when he was eating with them. He gave his disciples this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak of. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So today what I want to speak about is the gifts that accompany the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you've only come in, not heard the whole of the series, the last three weeks we spoke about what the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is and how, that, how we experience that. And so you're welcome to listen to that on the podcasts. But I want to say there are many who would make this thing of the gifts of the Spirit quite a controversial subject. Um, some who might feel that they are cessationists would believe that the gifts were only for the time of the birthing of the New Testament church in the early days and that they are no longer relevant and necessary. Whereas others might believe in the gifts in an intellectual or academic way but are nervous to see them at work in the life of the church. I believe that there are two very simple reasons why we can know that the gifts of the Spirit are for the church today. The first is to ask this question, has the whole world been saved? Well, of course not. And uh, do we still need to be empowered as Christians to be witnesses for Jesus? Well, absolutely. And therefore, we need all the help that we can get from the Holy Spirit. And the second question we need to ask is, is the church mature and perfect? Well, you don't have to be part of local church for very long to see that we are all on a journey of becoming like Christ, but none is there yet, and I'll be the first one to put up my hand. The answer is that we, as the church, desperately need the empowering and gifts of the Spirit if we are to become the healed and whole community that God intends, and if we are to be bold witnesses for Christ in our broken world. The, things, the gifts of the Spirit were something that have been foretold over all the centuries of the Word of God when it was written. In the New Testament, and indeed in the whole Bible, we're taught that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is attended by certain gifts. And Joel, in his prophecy, which Peter, remember we spoke about that last week during the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, Peter quotes this prophecy from the book of Joel. In Acts 2, verse 17 to 18, he says, um, this is what God is speaking, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. 
Jesus himself says in John 14, verse 11 to 12, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. It has always been God's intention that we will do signs and wonders and live supernatural lives in this world. I think it's just that in this modern world, and especially in the West, I think that we've become sanitized and so objectively scientific that we try to explain away anything that has to do with God and the work of His Spirit. I think, however, also, that when we do this, we also discredit the supernatural in the demonic, and we give that free reign to go about unchallenged. You see, a church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit is no threat at all to Satan. But as soon as we begin to step out in authority and the supernatural power of God, we do begin to intimidate the devil. We need, as the church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and we need his gifts. And so what I want to speak about today is a bit of an introduction to the gifts, because, I mean, that's a, a subject we could do a whole series on in itself, and we want to do more on that. But the gifts in the Bible have been, the spiritual gifts have been divided into three groups, or three classifications. There's the first group, which is called the motivational gifts, the second group is called the ministry gifts, and the last group is called the manifestational gifts. So I want to just have a look at those three different kinds of gifts and how do they relate to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and what do they look like for us. Um, and over the weeks, we'll be looking at that in a little bit more detail. So the motivational gifts. In 1 Peter 4 verse 10, uh, Peter writes, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. These motivational gifts, these are gifts that are given to us by God the Father. He gives it to every single one of us. And they are grace gifts. They're not something that we earn. They're undeserved and they are given according to God's pleasure and his wisdom. He knows for each of us the motivational gift that we need. I suppose it's called a motivational gift because it's the thing that moves us. It's the thing that compels us to live out a specific calling in our lives. And you can see in your own family or in, in the church, you can just see some people have a passion for certain things. It is like God has put a seed or a, a heartbeat in them and that's the thing that they are, are desirous to do because it's a motivational inspiration. It's intrinsic to who they are and it almost begins to shape their personality, this motivational gift. And Paul begins to explain and expand a bit more about what exactly these motivational gifts are in Romans 12 from verse 3 to 8. In verse 3 he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, 
Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with a sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Paul is explaining that God has given all of us a measure of faith. And he says that we are to regard ourselves in the light of how God has gifted us. And I love that in a church community, there is such a range of all different kinds of giftings. And God wants us to understand and be aware of what that motivational gift is that God the Father has bestowed on us. And he cautions us, on the one hand, not to think too highly of ourselves, but on the other hand, that we are to be sober and mindful of what God has entrusted to us and to be faithful with that gift. And then Paul goes on to say, For just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the other members. So Paul is comparing the church family, us, the church, to a human body. And just as the eye and the hand have a very, very different function, he's saying all of us in the church have different motivational gifts. They're very different to each other, but they find their purpose in being part of one another. So it's not that the gifts are just going off, the eye is going off saying, sorry, I'm going to be going off on my own. Uh, it doesn't work like that. We are all part of one body. It's for the common good. It's for all of our upbuilding and our upliftment. And then Paul goes on to say, and he lifts, lists these motivational gifts. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And he says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. And if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully with a smile. I added that part. Paul lists these seven motivational gifts in this passage. And um, I think for a church to really function in a healthy way, we need all seven of those motivational gifts operating through the people in the life of the church. And some of you might listen to some of those gifts and you might think, oh, I've got more than one of those operating in my life. Well, that's great and wonderful. But I think for all of us, there's at least one that resonates as a primary motivational gift that God has for us. So I'm just going to list those again, but I'm, I'm going to give a little bit of a more contemporary terminology because sometimes we get a bit distracted by, by, the, by the words. So do you notice also when Paul talks about these motivational gifts, they're things that compel us and, and move us, but he says, then put them into action. They're meant to be lived out. They're meant to be exercised. So the first one Maybe you're sitting now and you're thinking, now which one do I have? Well, that's good. Think about it. If it is to prophesy, if it's prophesying, then prophesy. Maybe a good word to use for that one is a perceiver. You're very good at perceiving the will of God and you're able to discern God's heart. 
And Paul says that we should do that with the measure of faith that God has given us. So we don't declare things that we go beyond what our faith level is, but it's in proportion to our faith. So perhaps you are a perceiver, you're able to understand the heart and will of God. Then we have the server. Maybe you might relate to a word like the doer. You're a very practical person. You love to serve others through practical acts of helping and being kind. You're, you're always there with the ready on hand to whatever is needed. That's a doer or a server. Then a teacher. Um, maybe a, we could use the word a researcher. You love to research and communicate truth. You're always looking to learn. You're always wanting to find out more so that you can impart and encourage and strengthen people through that truth. And then there is the exhorter or the encourager. And these are extremely positive people who love to encourage others to live a victorious life. Do you know people like that in your life? When they're in the room, you just feel like you can take on the world, exhorters or encouragers. And then there is the gift of the giver. And maybe a good word, contemporary word, is a contributor. One who loves to give their time, their talents, and their energy and means to benefit others and to advance the gospel. And Paul encourages that if you are a contributor or a contributor, that you do this with a generosity. And then we have the gift of administrator. Maybe another word is you are a facilitator or a leader, and you're good at organizing and leading and directing. And he says we are to administer this gift with due diligence. Be careful, be with a soberness and a responsibility. And then the, the seventh gift is that of a mercy heart, a heart of compassion. People who are moved by compassion, they show love and care to those in need. And I think because this kind of gift demands great personal sacrifice, you give of yourself when you are compassionate, Paul encourages this to be done with a cheerful spirit, not to grow weary in doing good. Maybe something of that has resounded with you this morning. Um, because at Forest Town, we've seen God add so many wonderful people with different motivational gifts because he is building his church. And as a leadership team, we want to be able to release people into the areas of, gift, of calling and serving that resonates with that motivational gift in their life. So, for example, I always joke at our Grounded course, if you really hate children, then you shouldn't probably be doing kids' ministry. Or if you, if you um, I don't know. But anyway, to find the gift of the way to serve that really inspires you and makes you feel excited. Um, and I think it's a very, sometimes a, we find it hard to discern what that gift is. And one of the ways I think that is quite helpful to start discerning what it is if you're not sure is to ask people who know you well what they see in your life. Because very often that gift is so natural and so intrinsic to us, we think everyone has it. And so we don't think it's very special. But to other people from the outside, they can see it, it stands out. So it's a good thing to ask others and say, what do you think is that motivational gift do you see operating in my life? Yeah. 
So we want to trust that everyone finds this gift that the Father God has given us and we can live fruitful lives as God intends. So that's the first kind of gift. And that's not the kind of gift we're talking that comes through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is something that God the Father puts in each of us as he uniquely creates us. And when we're born again, that is activated and released to another level. And we need all of those motivational gifts for a healthy church. We need them to be exercised. And then the second kind of groups of gifts is the ministry gifts. And we read about those in Ephesians 4 from verses 11 to 13. And uh, Paul says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers... Why? To equip people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. So the motivational gifts are given by God the Father and these ministry gifts are given to us by Jesus. It says that Jesus gave us these gifts. And these ministry gifts are in the form of men and women who operate in the office of a specific fivefold gifting. So it's not, a, it's not something that's just on anyone. It's God says, I'm gifting the church with this person in this office. I like uh, the, uh, someone's used a hand as an illustration, all the different fingers representing the different fivefold giftings that God, Jesus has given to the church. And the first one is the apostle. So we could use the thumb to represent the apostle. And apostles govern. And, but primarily, I believe that they help to ground the church in the understanding of the foundations of the gospel of Jesus. Because we don't build on anything else and Jesus and the finished work of his cross and how that permeates into our lives. Apostles are master builders who help to establish the church in good government and help plant new churches. They help release and establish the church. And also the, the apostle touches all the other gifts. It has a, an influence and an, a governmental oversight. And then we have the prophets and this fingers the prophets. They point the way. <laughs> They're able to discern the heart and the will and the purposes of God in a given, given season. And we're going to do a lot of teaching on prophecy, but the, they exhort, they comfort, they encourage the church into the promises of God. So that's the apostle and then the prophet. And then the third one is the evangelist, which is the tall finger in the middle because he spearheads the way um, to, to break open things. And I believe that evangelists are those that have been gripped by God to see the gospel preached to the lost. When I speak to people who have that evangelistic heart, they are just passionate to see people saved and to see believers equipped to share their faith. And when they stand up and preach, people get saved. It's just an anointing on them. They see this powerful ministry happening. So that's evangelists. And then we have the fourth finger, which I should use this hand, which is the ring finger. And that's the pastors, a sign of covenant, relational covenant. Pastors are those who disciple 
and strengthen believers in their walk with God. And they walk alongside people, but good pastors point people to Jesus for him to become their source and their strength and their source of healing and confidence. So we need pastors. And then the little finger, because it can go in your ear, <laughs> is the teacher. <laughs> they help to grind, ground people in the word of God as the plumb line for their lives. And they help us to understand the gospel and to apply it in our everyday life. So these ministry gifts are given by Jesus and they are confirmed by the local, local church and the wider church. Often these men and women are recognized not just within their local church, but in a wider sphere that they have this calling on their lives. And the primary function is that they are there to equip all of us so that we can do the work of the ministry. They are there to, they're not superstars that walk around and call themselves apostle, call me apostle so-and-so or prophet so-and-so. We're certainly not into titles like that in our church. They're a, they're a functioning gift there to release the believers into the fullness of what God has for us as a church and to bring us to a place of maturity. So the motivational gifts are given by the Father the ministry gifts are people that Jesus sends into the church to equip us and prepare us. And then we have the manifestational gifts. And those are the gifts that we, when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, those are the gifts that we see released um, when he, he pours himself out on us. And we read about these in 1 Corinthians 12 from verse 1 to 11. And Paul says, now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed. These are gifts given by the Holy Spirit, and they accompany the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says he doesn't want us to be ignorant around these kinds of giftings. And I think that's a very good thing. And the whole of a few chapters in Corinthians, he he gives himself to actually explaining how they work and that's something we're going to be doing over the next few weeks because they, they do lead to a lot of misunderstanding when we don't fully understand how God intends for them to be used, what they are and what he wants to accomplish through them. And Paul goes on in, in verse 3, he says, Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He's saying we are to be discerning in these gifts because they are spiritual gifts that when they are operating, they should always bring, when they're from the Holy Spirit, they will always point to Jesus. They will always magnify him. And as I said last week, they will never contradict the word of God. Amen. In verses four to six, Paul says, they're all different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and everyone, it's the same God who at work. Because when we're in a meeting and the manifestational gifts operate in our time together, we mustn't think 
because they are so different, they can't all be from the Holy Spirit. Indeed, they are. He gives a diversity of workings according to what he wants to accomplish. And it's his will. He, he sends them as he wishes and as he desires. And then in verse 7 it says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's for the, 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 the good of the whole community. And these manifestational gifts are not, uh, they are for all of us. When we can all operate in these gifts. And as we learn to become sensitive to the Holy Spirit and as we learn to hear his voice, he can prophesy through anyone here. It's not just some that can prophesy. He could use anyone here to minister healing. He can use anyone here to give an interpretation to a tongue. That is not something that's reserved for one or two special people. When the Spirit is on us and we avail ourselves and make us sensitize ourselves to his voice, he will use us. And what we have to learn is how that is used appropriately in a way that is ordered for the building of the church. And so the last few verses, it says, to one there is given the spirit in the spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And all of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So because um, that is probably all we can take in and deal with for today, I'm not going to go and expound on all of those those gifts. We'll, we're having a look at them over the next few weeks after Andy Ollerton preaches with us. But we really want to be a church that is not ignorant of these gifts. We want to understand them because they are such a wonderful blessing. How many of you have ever received a prophetic word that has just encouraged you? Who's received a prophetic word? Wonderful. And how God has just used that. I know some of the words, even when we were coming to plant this church, we had a prophetic word from a lady who didn't know us from a bar of soap and we had been praying about coming to England to start this church and she said to us, um, I just feel God saying, you need to get ready. He's taking you into the nations to plant a church and you go, whoa, <laughs> how did you know that? But that is how the prophetic works. That's how the manifestation of the Spirit works. He wants to encourage us. He wants to strengthen us and he wants to use each of us to do that. We are to be the empowered church. So the Lord has wonderful plans for us at Forest Town Church. He's got wonderful plans for all the churches. But he wants us to be a healthy, powerful, and effective church. So that is why we do value key ministry gifts of men and women. That's why we invite someone like Andy to come because he has an, a teaching gift on his life that he imparts into this church. That's why I don't want to embarrass Linda. She's a pastor. We want to invite someone with a pastoral gift. We want to invite all the different gifts into the life of the church to see the church equipped and brought to a place of maturity. 
And the Lord wants us to enjoy the motivational gift that he's put in each of us. That's why part of our, our, our vision statement is rooted in Christ, planted in family, and fruitful in life. We want everyone here to say, God, what is that thing you've put in me, that heartbeat, that special motivational gift, and let me begin to live it out. Let me be fruitful in life. And then God wants us to experience and know the power of his Holy Spirit and that we could see the gifts operate, the manifestational gifts operate in a way that breaks strongholds over people's lives, that sets people free into all that God has for them, both for the church and to reach the lost. We are a dearly loved people, loved by God, and he wants us to receive all the gifts that he has for us. And what he asks for us is to have open hands and an open heart and to receive it like a child with all wisdom and discernment because he has good gifts to give to his church.